One of the reasons I'm doing this series is, is because while I like my family, I have also celebrated Thanksgiving. And when you go to a Thanksgiving meal, you start to see all the things that are wrong with your family, that you don't like about your family, that uh, make you tense about your family. I mean, I've been through some Thanksgiving meals where, uh, you know, there's a new aunt or a new uncle, and I don't know what happened to the last one. You know what I mean? Like, wait, where did they go? Uh, I have uh, been through some Thanksgiving meals where people start yelling at each other. You know what I mean? Because I don't know, like somebody said a political candidate or something, and then, woo, there it goes. Everybody's mad at everybody. I I've been through Thanksgiving meals where people just aren't talking about it. You know, whatever it is, like, we're just, let's, don't bring up that issue because, you know, that's going to cause all kinds of problems. And maybe as we kind of move towards the holidays, you're already, I mean, it's September's here and it's like, oh no, like soon enough it will be Halloween and once Halloween is over, then we're like, woo, then it's on, you know, I'm going to have to see those people 15 times in two months and that's about 15 times too many during the course of the year. Now, I know something and I know that most of you experience pretty good in your family, good things in your families, but I don't really, I don't know that all of you do, but I do know that all of you experience bad in your families. It isn't a given that we will have anything good come from our families or out of our families in our lives. That's not a given, but there is a given that bad things will come out of your family. Even if you uh, were a person that was put into foster care before you can't remember, and the only bad that you know that came out of your families is, is that, that, that for whatever reason you didn't grow up with your families. It is a given in this life that no matter how much good you have in your family, you're going to have bad in your family. We've all felt, you know, these bad things and how they affect us. I can just say some words, and um, I would guess that almost all of us have been affected by these things in some way. Addiction. It's affected your family in some way, probably. Abuse, lies, bitterness, jealousy, hostility, adultery, divorce, fighting slash arguing. This list is just a short list of all of the bad that families surround us with sometimes. All of the bad that we deal with because we're part of a family. All of the things that, that we know are there, but we don't like it and we wish that it would go away. And in this series, we're going to just look at some of these very things and where we're going to look at them in is the book of Genesis because in the book of Genesis, not sure if you're aware of this, we find the story of a family. It goes on generation after generation after generation and you find like all of these things in that family. And there's a couple of reasons that we're going to do this. One is that I believe that some of you don't even see that the family things that go on in your life are abnormal and not good. Uh, the problem with being part of a family is that family becomes normal for you. 
And for many, they'll never see that there's a better way to do life, to do family, than what they've all always experienced in their families. Let me give you, because we'll get deeper as we go, but let me just start with the most shallow example I could probably have thought of for that. Uh, when I was dating Bryn, and we would go to movies together, when we could still afford to do that, uh, we, we would get done with the movie, and I would just leave my popcorn thing there and my candy box, and, and I would go on my merry way, not thinking one thing about it, not trying to be rude, not thinking anything about it. And very early while we were dating, Bryn's like, aren't you going to throw that away? And it's weird because in my family, it was just like, and, and we're a pretty nice family, I think, but there was no thought of that. It was like, well, there's people for that. You know, I mean, that's what they do. <laughs> like that is what happens. They pick up the stuff after you leave. It's their, they got a little thing, you know? I mean, why would we do that? And then Bryn came into my life, and she's like, well, you wouldn't do that anywhere else, would you? And I was like, hmm, I don't know. I don't think I would. I've never done it in a park, and parks have people. You know, like, I, I never considered that before. And, and it was because in my family, it was just normal without any thought of doing it any other way. And I grew up, shallow example, I know, but not thinking that you would ever pick up your trash after you leave a movie. It wasn't even a thought to me. I wasn't intentionally doing something wrong. I just was doing what my family had kind of shown me to be the right thing to do, the normal thing to do. And the sad reality is for a lot of people, that's the same with addiction and abuse and, and deceit and jealousy and bitterness and hostility and adultery and divorce and fighting and arguing. A lot of people don't even know that there's another way. The trash is just kind of all left out, and it's like, this is normal. This is what we do. When we are mad at each other, we yell at each other. That's just how it works. When there's something in our lives that we don't really like, we just lie about it. Of course I'm going to treat my child this way. That's how my parent treated me. People just think it's normal. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. That will just kind of be uncovered as we go and we look at these issues. And maybe somebody uh, or some of you will just, for the first time, be like, that's not normal? Like, why is he preaching about this? Because that just seems like the way that it goes in a family. There's something better for me. And so as we look at these stories, that's one of my hopes. But, but today, it's like a, a bigger question that I think... Hopefully we don't ask this a lot, but some people probably ask it all the time. Uh, but we've all probably thought it or asked it, even if it was just in the worst moments. Like, what good is family? Another question. Why did God give me this family? And, let me I'll give you another one. Is there any hope for my family? Like, can any of this ever get better, or is this just the way it is, and it will always be this way? I think that a lot of times, especially when we're grown-ups, we think, like, I would be better off if I didn't have to deal with these people. Yeah, that might be true. Let me say that. I'm not going to say that's not true. It might be true for you. But this morning, I want to look 
at like God's original intent and the reason that he gave us family and, and see that it was originally good. And then, and then at the very end, of after we see like why God gave us family and what was the intent of family and what family can be, then at the very end, we're just gonna quickly go like, here's the beginning. Here's how you start to fix it or here's what you need to think like in order to fix it. And that will all be taken care of, hopefully, by uh, the other sermons. But we'll just kind of get a foundation this morning. What we're ultimately going to see is that, that God gave us families. They got messed up. And faith fixes families. It's the one phrase that if you can remember anything today and maybe through the whole series, it's that our faith is the, is the one thing that can fix our broken, destroyed, ruined families. And so uh, let's begin by talking about the very beginning. At the beginning of the book of Genesis, we read about God's creation, and he creates the heavens and the earth and water and land and animals, and he, he then creates a man named Adam. You maybe have heard of him. He's your grandpa. Um, get it? Uh, and after God creates this man, he says this really fascinating thing. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he said this really other fascinating thing. Uh, he's looking at the animals. And then he says, uh, there is no suitable helper for this guy that I created named Adam. And God's response to this is to give him family. But before we look at that, I want to say this. In those two phrases, those two sentences by God, what we learn is the purpose for our families. Our families maybe have never fulfilled these purposes, okay? Let me make that clear. They may have never even come close to fulfilling these purposes. But the purposes are still there. The reason that God created family was to provide us with help and to provide us with companionship. And you kind of know that if you've ever seen any good glimpses in your family, right? If you've ever had like any glimpse of the good and the healthy and the right in your family, if you've ever found a purpose in your family, it's probably because of these two original purposes. Like for me... Just this week, my brother-in-law, that's Bryn's brother, Danny, came over and helped us put a baby gate in, into the walls and everything. I could have got that baby gate put in. It would have taken me about 14 hours or so, and Danny did it in about 45 minutes uh, because I'm not handy. And, I, and this, you know, honestly, it would have taken me 14 hours, and then in a week, Hazel would have fallen down the stairs because the baby gate would have gone with her. And Danny came over because he's family, and he helped us put the gates in, and he looked like he knew what he was doing and all that because he does. And so there's just, and you go, this is what I like about family, you know? And it, the reason you like that part of family is because that was one of the purposes of family. Uh, my cousin Jared is my best friend in the world. I have some incredible friends right here in church uh, that are up there, but Jared is my best friend, and, and Jared is my best friend, let me tell you, in large part because we've shared 
so many life experiences because he's been around since I was four or so, and I've been around his whole life. And so when we say it reminds me of that one time, it doesn't go back three or four years. It goes back our entire lives. Uh, we have the same complaints about our own family, and we talk about them, you know? I mean, there's somebody who gets what I'm talking about when I talk about the frustrations that I have when my family's not being helpful and not being my companion, you know? We've been through a lot together. We've seen each other through a lot, and it started, like, from the time we were very little. I mean, I was there when Jared was riding his bike without a helmet, a cop pulled down our cul-de-sac for the first time in the history of our cul-de-sac. Like, since that road was, the, the concrete was poured, I don't think any cop had ever come down the road. And Jared, riding his bike without a helmet one time, the cop pulls down our road. Sees Jared, goes to pull him over. Jared runs into his house, fleeing a cop. It's amazing he has a good job today, you know. Uh, flees the cop. And, and these are the types of things. I mean, that's a scary moment when you're a kid. Like, it's a funny story now. But at the time, it's like, Jared's going to prison. Like, he should not have run from the cop. That was the worst idea ever. He's going to prison. And, and we're such good friends, uh, such good friends that we drove from Oklahoma to here this year, and we didn't even feel a need to talk, you know, that kind of friend, because we've been through all of that stuff together before. And so when family is at its best, it's providing you with help, get things done, support, all that, and it's providing you with a companionship that is really difficult to find outside of the people that you have grown up with because you are of the same bloodline. And that's what God does right at the beginning. He says, hey, there's, it's not good for Adam to be alone and there's no suitable helper found. And then we read in Genesis 2, 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Family is created. It's created by God and it's really cool that God even delivers it like a gift. See that there? That he brings the woman to the man. It's like God says, I've, I've created this amazing gift. It's the gift of marriage first, but as an extension of that, I've given you the gift of family. Now let me pause and say a couple of things. First of all, if you're going to be a good family member, you need to remember the purposes of family. The purpose of your family is so that people may have help and companionship. And if you're not being helpful or a good companion, then you're not a good part of your family. And you might blame everybody else, but if you're not fulfilling those purposes in your family, then you're not the good family member. Everybody thinks they're the good family member, right? I mean, everybody thinks it's like, oh, them and them and them and them. But if you're not fulfilling those purposes, being a good friend, a good family member that's a, a companion and helping, then you're not contributing in the way that God intended. And you are not living out family in a way that shows that it really was a gift of God. Now, the other thing is, you go, wait a minute. <laughs> if family was a gift from God then he's not a very good gift giver. You might ask, like, my family is so bad. Is God a bad gift giver? I mean, if this was a gift, it wasn't a very good one. 
Now, this is what I would like to compare it to, the gift of a car. I think that family is like the gift of a car. And in its original state, when somebody bought you a car, I don't know if anybody's ever bought you a car, but when they bought you the car, you were pumped, you were excited, it was nice. It was a symbol of their love. But if that car goes bad in 10 years, you might not, you go, well, I cannot believe that they gave me that car. But you probably wouldn't. You would still, even though it was so messed up, even though it was falling apart and you were at the mechanic every month, you would still say, this car is a symbol of the love that person has for me. It's still an incredible reminder that they cared enough about me to give me this gift. I have almost that exact story. My mom, when I was 16 years old, bought me my first car. It was a 65 Ford Mustang. It was beautiful on the outside and ugly on the inside, uh, both in the interior and the motor, as it turned out. She bought me that car, and, and it was a symbol that my mom cares and loves and uh, thinks something about me and wanted me to have something good. And in no time at all, the car was falling apart. Like in the engine, it looked great on the outside. I really liked driving it to school. But on the inside, it just didn't work. And I realized I'm going to have to have more money or I'm going to have to have somebody in my life that can fix cars. That's not really true in my family. Too bad. Uh, but I needed one of those two things. And, and so we ended up selling the car not long later and uh, get another car. But even when the car was falling apart, I didn't look at my mom and go, man, you must hate me. You know, it still was a symbol of the fact that she loved me and cared about me and wanted to have the car. And what's so cool about family is that even though it might be messed up, and we'll talk about why it's messed up in just a minute, even though it might be messed up, family, its very existence is a reminder of the love that God has for humans, for us. It's still a symbol of the fact that God cares enough about us to gift us with something that has the purpose of help and companionship. And so I want you just, I mean, as we kind of go into this series and, and we talk about family and even right now, even if you have the most messed up family that anybody could ever imagine, I want every time you think about that family and how messed up they are, it, for it to still be a reminder that God loves and cares about you even though your family isn't what it was supposed to be because of what we'll see in a minute. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be just a great starting point? Like, instead of thinking about how stupid your family is, you thought about how stupid they were and then you added to it, like, oh, but even though they're stupid and even though they're broken down to stick with our car metaphor, it's still a reminder that God loves us as people. Family was originally a gift, even if your family is full of hate. That's what I want you to remember. And, and what we're going to see in a minute is that faith will begin to fix the family that you're a part of. In Genesis 2.23, it says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The exclamation by Adam uses a bunch of different Hebrew uh, poetry techniques. And I don't know why I put this in a rhyme because you don't need to remember this at all, but it just kind of came out of me. If love is a root, poetry is the fruit. 
We know that, right? Like you've been the most poetic in your life if you've ever been at the beginning of a romantic relationship. It just flew out of you, you know? You were rhyming stuff and, and, and it was like, you know, all like touchy-feely and happy and really good. And this is pretty much what Adam says. I mean, he's like, I knew I loved you before I met you. I think I dreamed you into life. I knew I loved you before I met you. I have been waiting all my life. It's not ringing any bells. Savage Garden from when I was in high school. Uh, He says, there's just no rhyme or reason, only the sense of completion. In your eyes, I see the missing pieces I'm searching for. I think I found my way home. I know that it might sound more than a little crazy, but I believe. That's pretty much what Adam says in a modern day song. I mean, he's like, look, the missing piece is here. God's gifted me with a wife and with a family so that I can have help and companionship, the help and companionship that I innately feel a desire for. The beginning of almost every family is just like that, isn't it? Because families come as boy and girl, fall in love, they say their poetry, and then it begins. And this first family was no different, except for with Adam and Eve, They didn't see any end in sight to that perfection and that harmony and that perfect unity. We all know, or we should know, I've been around some young people that don't know, but we all should know, even when we go into a marriage, when we begin a family, as they say, that while it feels great at the beginning, it's going to have tons of difficulty afterwards. But for Adam and Eve, there's no concept of that, nor did there need to be a concept of that. They were perfectly unified, and it looked like it was going to be like that forever. We look and we say, our families have problems, but that first family was absolutely perfect. And we'll see what happened in a minute. Verse 24, it says, and this is an explanatory note by the author of Genesis. It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And I want to point out that it shows us, this explanatory note, that family was part of the original creation and it was good. What we might think is that the part of the story that we read next called the fall is the reason that family's begun. I think we have this picture that Adam and Eve were never going to have kids and that they were never going to be a family. Uh, But we see right at the beginning that family was always God's intention. In fact... It says in Genesis 1:28, chapter before, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Before everything got messed up in families, the plan was for families to exist. And I want to remind you one more time, even if your family is full of hate, it is still a reminder of God's grace and God's love for you because he gave it to us in a perfect state. But something happened. Genesis 2.25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. What a sentence. Could there be a more profound, yet further from our experience, sentence in the whole Bible? Adam and Eve, a brand new family. It's perfect. And there's nothing in them that feels any shame at all. Gordon Winham, who wrote the word biblical commentary, said, 
since the relationships between man and woman and between them and their creator are included by sin, there is no need to cover up, are not included by sin. There is no need to cover up. The fullness of their fellowship here is most vividly expressed. They are perfectly unified, and there is nothing in them that feels, that experiences shame. And in our families, there's lots of shame. Now, you may not identify what you feel about your family as shame, but if you've ever felt like you were ashamed of your families, then you know that you have shame in your family. If you've ever, because of the addicted aunt, felt ashamed, then you know that there, are sh- there is shame in our families. If the abuse is something that you have hidden, then you know that there is shame in your family. If there are lies to cover things up, it's because there is shame in your family and you are ashamed of the things that cause it. There's bitterness or hostility or adultery or divorce or fighting or arguing, then you know that there are things that you are ashamed of. And therefore, you know that there are shame, there is shame in our families. And that first created family, they were so unified. They were so driven by help and companionship. They were so much in a perfect state that they felt no shame. And we're doing this series because we all feel shame. There are things in our families that every one of us are ashamed of. What happened? We read about what happens in Genesis 3, 7 through 13. Uh, Before these verses... You know this story probably. Even if you've just been in church a couple times, you might know this story. There's a a tree in the middle of the garden where Adam and Eve have their first family. And God says, don't eat from it. And the serpent comes. And the serpent says, eat from it. And Eve eats from it. And she talks Adam into eating from it. And they eat. And this is what we call the first sin. This is the first moment where humanity was disobedient to God. God put that tree there, we believe, because he wanted to give people the choice, the freedom to rebel against him. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve chose to do. And in three, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, just listen to this. Because it's so instantaneous. The, the crumbling of our family structure was so fast when sent into the world that it's easy to see why our families aren't what they should be today. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. As soon as sin 
entered in the world, into the world. The first family went from total unity, harmony, peace, love to complete disunity. Sin introduced shame and shame introduced blame and all the other things like addiction, abuse, lies, bitterness, jealousy, deceit, adultery, divorce, fighting, arguing, all of it. Notice how the story goes. Perfect harmony. They eat from the fruit. And what's the first thing that they feel? Shame. Shame. They cover themselves up because the unity has been broken. Now I want to point out that this is like a married couple, right? And so there's nothing sinful about them being naked in this moment. The real truth behind it is that the unity is gone. So much so that now that they're looking at each other, they're like, I feel ashamed in your presence because this isn't perfect anymore. And then what do they do next? They hide from God. Isn't there so much about your family that you almost feel like you need to hide from God too? Even in your prayers, you don't pray these things because it's embarrassing almost to say it to God. And, and even the things that you do to contribute to that, it's like you don't want to talk to God about it because it's, it's just a mess. Shame. And then God says like, what happened here? Did you eat from the tree? What does Adam do? Does he protect his wife? Does he stick up for it? Does he stay unified? Does he say, we're in this together? You go, I go. We're going down together. This is us against the world. Perfect harmony, perfect family. Nope. She did it. And we joke about that and we laugh about that because men have been doing it forever since then, right? It was her fault. And women do it back. It was his fault. But think of how sad that is. From poetry to blame in an instant because sin entered into the world. The truth is, sin is what has destroyed your family. And we look at God and we say, this was a perfect gift that was meant to provide help and companionship, but it's anything but that. And the reason it's not that is because this because of this moment where sin got into humanity and it spread through the family structure like wildfire and destroyed the fabric of what family is supposed to be. The reason that your family isn't everything it ought to be is because sin exists. I want to point out this other thing. And it's almost a side note, but it's so important to the topic of family because I see this all the time and we feel this all the time. We think this all the time. I want you to notice that, that when Adam is caught red-handed, he eats the apple, he's caught. God says, did you, did you? He blames, right? And I think what Gordon Winham again says is so valuable for us. He says, this too is characteristically human. People are inclined to justify their conduct by pointing to the circumstances. 
Then he says, God's silence indicates his rejection of this plea. A lot of you will spend your whole lives doing stupid things and pointing your finger at your family. It's been happening since the beginning of the world. As soon as sin got in the world and families got ruined, people started to say, well, I would do a better job, but my mom messed up. I mean, that's kind of the cliche one, right? You lay on a couch, you talk to a psychologist, and you tell them what your mom did wrong. But God's silence here to Adam when he points the finger and says, it's my family's fault. You gave me this gift. This gift wasn't everything it was supposed to be. That's why I did it. God just kind of gives him, in my mind, a stupid look, you know, like, you're an idiot. (laughs) It's not quoted in the Bible for us, but that's how I envision it. Like, come on, are you serious? And I think he's doing that to a lot of you. Well, I would live for Jesus. I would do right. I wouldn't be the person that I am if my dad had been around. I wouldn't be this way if my mom didn't. If my siblings were just nicer to me, then that wouldn't be a part of my life. If my kids would just act the way I want them to act, then I wouldn't be such an angry person. And God's just staring at you. Come on. Take some responsibility. And when we talk about family, we're going to bring up some things in these stories in the book of Genesis that you'll connect with. None of them are reason enough for you not to do what you're supposed to do. None of them. The things you do wrong are not your family's fault. Your family might have done a lot wrong. But the responsibility to live the life that you're supposed to live falls upon you and not your spouse, or your parents, or your kids, or your siblings, or your cousins, or anybody else. I wrote it loud down like this, and this one's a rhyme because I want you to remember it. You may have all kinds of problems with your kin, but it is not a good excuse for sin. So here's how this story looks. God gave, rebellion ruined, and faith fixes family. And the question is, why does faith fix family? In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, this is what we read. It's not specific to family, but it shows us a glimpse of why faith can fix our families. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. You see, there's this story in the Bible you might have heard it before. It's the story of Jesus. And the story is one of the God-man coming to earth, being born on a holiday we call Christmas, living a perfectly sinless life, and at the end of that life, dying a brutal, horrific death on a cross, and then rising again. And the reason he did all of it was in large part so so that your sins could be removed And you could once again live the way that you should live. The way that we were supposed to live when God created us. The Bible doesn't just say that Jesus died so our sins can be removed. It says other things like when Jesus died and rose again, it gave us an opportunity to have, as we sang earlier, all the chains in our life broken. It gave us the opportunity to no longer be a slave to the things that came into the world when sin entered through that bite of that fruit. 
The Bible tells us that when Jesus died and rose again, it gave the opportunity for the curse that has been upon us since Adam and Eve sinned to be removed from our lives. We're no longer under it. And so the reality is, as your faith increases, I don't mean just mental belief in what Jesus did, but as you grow in your understanding of what Jesus did and your ability to live for Jesus and your passion for Jesus and your heart to do what Jesus wants you to do, then your family will begin to be fixed. Now for some people, I just need to tell you that that means that you need to become a Christian. I don't think there's any hope for families that don't have Jesus, that aren't Christians. Because all families that are not Christian families are still under the curse. And they are still slaves to sin. And while they may cover things up well, we are so good at that in the city of Wilsonville. I mean, man alive, you would think every family is perfect. But when you start to have conversations with people, a lot of them are just wretched. But families that don't know Jesus can cover things up. But on the inside, they'll still, they'll still be rotten because of sin. And so the first thing that all of us have to do if we want our families to get better at all is that we need to place our faith in Jesus as our Savior because then the curse of sin and death and slavery to sin is broken and it gives us a fighting chance to be the family member that we should be and to help our families be what they ought to be. And the other part, and the, and the reason that we're doing this series is because that for many of us, what it means when I say faith fixes families is that our faith must increase. We're already Christians, but now we need to take a step forward and say, I'm going to do my best to do it God's way. And I'm not just going to do that as an individual because sometimes that's easier. We can all say, well, I'll stop lying. I'll do my best to stop lusting. I'll do my best to stop yelling. But when it's hard, it's when we're surrounded by all those other people that we share a bloodline with. And they just start to cause our blood to boil. And the interactions get ugly. And so we're doing this series so we can look and go, wait, 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 wait. This is what happens in my family. But God has shown us another way. And I'm going to do my best to do it that way, even when my family's around. And I'm going to do my best to help my family do it that way. Even if the first step is trying to lead your family to Jesus. What your family is right now is not what God intended your family to be. And the only way that it's going to move towards being all that God intended is if your faith begins to grow and you begin to make your family a family of faith. And so I hope 
that you'll just pray about that first and say, God, look, I need, I need my family to be a family of faith because we have no chance otherwise. Uh, but I also hope that you'll use those books to start to move forward that we handed out. And, and I hope even more that as we go through this series, you won't just hear another sermon that you say, well, I liked that one or I didn't like that one but you'll engage what we're talking about and you'll start to put into practice these things because God gave and rebellion ruined and faith fixes our families. And if you want to have a great family, then you must have a family that's growing in faith. Please pray with me. Lord, man, God, I'm looking forward to this series. So many of our families in our church are, are okay, they're fine, but they're not really driven by you, God. They're not really wrapped up in you. They're not really spiritual, even if they manage to avoid some of the big sins that other families have. Lord, I want that to change because faith fixes families. And our families will never be all that you intended them, them to be. They will not provide the help and the companionship that, that you intended them to provide, God. If our faith is not increasing and we are not becoming stronger people of faith, Lord. And so please, God, move. Lord, I pray for anybody that is here right now and anybody who will listen to this sermon online. And I ask, God, that if they're not Christians, they would give their lives to you. There's so many reasons, God, for us to give our lives to you. I mean, heaven and freedom from sin and freedom from the fear of hell and peace and joy and forgiveness and all that. But one of them, God, is, is because it's the only way that we can have the families that, that you want us to have, good families. Lord, I pray for those of us who are Christians and that God, in this series, you would in increase our faith, not just individually, Lord, but you would increase the faith of our families. And God, I realize that all of us have different family dynamics. But Lord, no matter our starting place in this series, I pray that you would move us forward because you develop the faith of our families. God, I thank you for the gift of family. And I thank you, Lord, that even though we as people have destroyed that gift, we've driven it into the ground, Lord. You still provide for us all that we need to move our families back towards what they were when you gave them to us, Lord. Help us do that. God, remind us that faith fixes families. I pray these things in your name. Amen.